I want you to turn with us another time to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. This should be the last message in this series on the Beatitudes. Second message on the eighth Beatitude, verses 10 through 12. Let's read it together again. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And see, in the multitudes he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we praise thy name. that thou art the omnipotent, omnipotent God that thou knowest and seest us this morning. The omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, who is able to turn hearts unto thee. Thou knowest <clears throat> our thoughts are far off and are acquainted with all of our ways. And we thank you that we can rest in thy hands this morning, knowing that you know us, you care for us. You watch over us. You protect us. You lead us. You guide us. For thou art our God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our great Redeemer and Deliverer, the great Shepherd of the sheep to lead us. We can say with the psalmist, The Lord is my Shepherd. I shall not want. And thou hast given us of thy Spirit who indwells us, and takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto our soul. We come to thee empty-handed this morning. With no price in our hands we bring, but simply to thy cross we cling, asking for thy mercy to be upon us. For thou knowest, Father, that thou knowest that I need thee. Thou knowest that within myself I am weak and poured out like water this morning. Thou knowest that I cannot say one word apart from the Holy Spirit taking it and using it and speaking through us that word, Father, that will convict and convince and convert, that word that will bless our hearts, lay our hearts bare, that word which will encourage our hearts, that word which will search our hearts. It is thy word, forever settled in heaven, and you said that thy word is above thy name, 
and thou canst not lie. And so we come to you as an empty-handed sinner, saved by thy grace this morning, asking that thou would speak through us those things which you have laid upon our heart, the things which are in thy word this morning. And our Father, you've sent each and every heart this way, so we do pray that thou wilt give hearing ears and seeing eyes and understanding mind, and thou wilt be pleased to open our minds and hearts to spiritual things this morning, that they may go out after thee. How good thou hast been to bring us to this hour, and we praise you for it. My Father, we rest everything in thy hands, and ask that you let us deliver this message in love, deliver it with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Speak it to our own heart, and search out our own heart, that we may walk with thee, as a child of the living God, walking in the way of righteousness and true holiness for thy name's sake, giving thee glory and praise. And our Father, we do bring to you our brother Michael, who will be going into surgery in the morning. Watch over him, keep him, watch over the doctors. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that all will grow well, and I will give him <clears throat> his breath and voice back, we trust him in your hands. And our friend, Father, we've been praying for Jerry Atkins. Remember him this morning. Pray that thou wilt not let him go, but that thou wilt deliver him by thy great grace and reveal thyself to him and draw him unto thee with the cords of kindness. Bless each home, each individual. Have mercy upon us all, for in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. <clears throat> Last Lord's Day we brought before you all of the scriptures we thought was necessary to confirm this truth and this doctrine throughout the Word of God <clears throat> that the child of God, the true believer, he who has been born by the Spirit of God, the true Christian, is going to be persecuted, is going to be is going to suffer for Christ's sake. He gives us the blessing that goes with this. For he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he says, There is a reward, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again he used the word blessed, happy. Privileged is the man when men revile him, persecute him, and shall say all manner of evil against him falsely for the sake of Christ. And what are we, or what are we to redo, do in this? <clears throat> we are to rejoice. And be exceeding glad, for great is our reward in heaven. 
for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There's one thing, there's a lot of things I, I trust that you have remembered as we've gone through this series of messages the last three months. One of them I trust that you will carry with you forever is that there's no man in all the world in his own strength that can keep the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. I said there's no man in his own strength that can keep these eight Beatitudes in his own strength. He must be born again by the Spirit of God. He must know the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to put these <coughs> these and these beatitudes in into practice. And if you would look at them with me one more time, you will notice that as we have told you time after time, that this is a true picture of the child of God. The characteristics of the true Christian. And <clears throat> he said that the true Christian is one who knows himself to be poor in spirit, the first beatitude, because of sin. And the second beatitude, he is one who mourns over his sinful heart and his sins against the holy and righteous God. In the third beatitude, he is one who has been given a meek spirit because he has been humbled before God in confession and repentance. In the fourth beatitude, he is one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, that is, Christ and his righteousness, because saving faith has been given to him to lay hold of Christ as the one who has been lifted up for his offenses and raised again for his justification. And his standing before God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the, the fifth beatitude, he is one who desires to be merciful because he has obtained mercy. The sixth beatitude, he is one who desires to have a pure heart because he has... <coughs> He desires to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8, the seventh beatitude, he is one who desires to live a peaceful life and to be a peacemaker to his fellow man. And then in the eighth beatitude from 10 through 12, our Lord Jesus Christ tells us that this is what is going to happen to every one of his children, because they are a Christian. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We told you that this was an amazing and astounded, astounding and unexpected statement that God would make. Yet remember, it is a part of the Christian himself. It is a characteristic mark of the children of God that in this world we shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, he said, I've overcome the world. For another place he says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer 
persecution. So therefore, it behooves each and every one of us, by the grace of God, to count the cost of what it means to be in Christ, to follow Christ. Because all of this, all of this can be done only because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. All of these Beatitudes, a life lived poor in spirit, a life lived mourning over sin, a life lived as a meek and quiet one before God and before the world, a, a one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, one who desires to be merciful, one who desires to have a pure heart before God, and he, he cries for that pure heart, one who desires to be a peacemaker, and then to know to live this kind of life, he is going to be a persecuted one, a suffering one for righteousness' sake. This, is only can, be, this can only be done because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has wrought for us on the cross. And so he says, he tells us in, in Luke 14, to sit down and count the cost of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus. Because this is, the, this is the marks of those who do follow him and who are his. And he tells us in Luke 14, If any man come to me and take not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Thus happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. So these Beatitudes tell us to sit down and count the cost. These Beatitudes tells us that we must have the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to live this kind of life that He desires for us to live. For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think of these things, we think of this life that He's called us into. We think of this life that desires us to live before Him, before our fellow man, in our home, on the job, wherever we are, wherever we go. Let us remember that for us to live this life, it cost the Lord Jesus Christ His life for us to have this kind of life, to live this kind of life. It was the shedding of His precious blood. <clears throat> And his pouring out his, his life unto death, that he might satisfy 
the law that we had broken, poured out his life's blood that we might be cleansed from all sin, given himself as a offering unto God, bearing our sins in his own body upon the tree, that indeed we might mourn over sin, we might be meek ones, we might cry after righteousness, and we might be merciful, we might cry after a pure heart and to be peacemakers. All of this is available only because the Lord Jesus Christ has given himself for us. Let us never forget that as we come to a portion like this that is, is strictly not of our nature. It is not our nature to be poor in spirit. It is not our nature to mourn. It is not our nature to be meek. It is not our nature to hunger and thirst after Christ. It is not our nature to be merciful. It is not our nature to be pure in heart. It is not our nature to be peacemakers. And certainly it is not our nature to desire to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Much more to rejoice in it. To keep our mouths shut and say nothing when we are reviled and slandered or whatever may come against us in persecution, but rejoice in these things for the glory and the mercy of our God and praise Him. I want you to keep in mind that only a man saved by the grace of God, only a man washed in the blood of Christ, only a man filled with the Spirit of God can live such a life as laid down here. But again, I want you to understand that these truly are the characteristic marks of the true child of God. And I want you to never get away from it and, let, and ask God to write these things upon your heart because they are needful. Now, why... Are we persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, there are two reasons. I want you to understand now as we go into this message this morning, there's going to be something here for every one of us in this audience, and especially for me. You don't know how I've cried to God for this. You don't know how I've cried to God to give me His Word and to give me a heart of love to bring this word because beloved it's not easy it's not easy when we are reviled and persecuted and slandered not to retaliate and not to hold anything against those who come against us it's only by the grace of God and the longer we live as the true children of God, the more we see and understand that it's only by the grace of God that we can even walk midst this wicked and perverted generation holding forth the word of life by the grace of God. What are the causes of persecution? Why 
must there be persecution. Now I gave you the scriptures last week. There were at least 15 or 20 of them that I brought before your attention to show you that God's people are going to be to suffer for Christ's sake and that they will <clears throat> they will suffer the trials of this life because this world is not our home. We're strangers and pilgrims down here and the dogs of the world balk at <clears throat> the children of God. We're strangers and pilgrims. The first thing I would regard is God has decreed this to be. Very plain from the Scriptures. For, yourself, for you yourselves know that ye are appointed thereunto. For we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know it is true, First Thessalonians 3. And then 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore let them that suffer, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto a faithful creator. And then that scripture in Philippians 1.29 is very clear that it's been decreed by God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. Watch the word of God now, not mine. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been decreed by God. And to show that this decree has been given, it was given unto the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. For when he was yet blinded in Judas's house on Straight Street in Damascus, and the Lord spoke to Ananias, one of the believers there in Damascus, told him to go down and lay his hands upon Saul of Tarsus and tell him that God had cleansed him and washed away his sins. This is what he said about him. Verse 15 of Acts 9. But the Lord said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Watch it. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So we know then that the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus before God saved him, was ordained to these things, or decreed, it was decreed by God that he must suffer for his name's sake. In other words, God had planned and purpose that he would carry out his purposes through him by suffering. All you have to do is read 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11 and you'll find all that he went through with, some of the things he went through at least, and he... finished his course God was with him all the way. Let me read you one more scripture to set forth what we did last week. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, 
you may be also you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But none of not none of you suffer <clears throat> as a murderer or as a thief or as an evil doer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet if any man suffer, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You remember when David was fleeing from Absalom, his son, who was fixing to capture his king, take his kingdom away from him. There was a man of the tribe of Benjamin, the name of Shimei, came out against David, cursing him. And Abishai, David's nephew, wanted to go cut his head off. And David said to him, leave him alone. God has told him to curse me. So he cursed him. Shimei's tongue was the arrow, but it was God who shot the arrow. It was Satan who brought on all the losses and the sufferings of Job... But it was God who allowed it and ordained it. So the sufferings and the persecutions for the children of God are designed, and we'll show you these designs later, why he designed them, <clears throat> the decrees of God. Here we are, God's designs then in this, this thing. God has a twofold design in the persecution of his children. First of all, God allows trials into our life that they might be the touchstone of sincerity. Have we trusted Christ sincere, sincerely? Do we desire to be children of the living God under all circumstances? Have we yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of our life? Have our whole, has our whole being been given over to Him? Have we crowned Him King and Lord of our life? Because He is Lord. And daily we give ourselves unto Him as Lord of our life. For Him to do with us as He pleases. Here we are. You're the Lord of my life. Whatever you bring into my life, I know has your approval and has come by your throne of grace. Persecution is the touchstone of sincerity. How will a man react under it? I have found out that trials and persecutions and sufferings discovers the true saint from the hypocrite. Unsound hearts pretend to be <clears throat> pretend in prosperity to be fair, but in time of persecution they fall away. For here's what he says in the parable of the sower. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and the none with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth, endureth for a while. For when tribulations or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by, 
he is offended. He falls away. But the child of God does not fall away. The hypocrite does. The hypocrite will take the road of Demas. You know how Demas walked with Paul in his missionary journeys for a long time, but we read in the last book that Paul wrote, Second Timothy, he said, All have forsaken me. Demas has forsaken me and gone back to this present evil world. Those who are not in Christ trials and persecutions don't set well with them. It's a stormy sea on which they do not like to ride. They would go with Christ when all was going well, but they'll never go to Mount Calvary with Him, and they'll never die there with Him, and they'll never have <clears throat> the sword thrust through them as they go outside the camp bearing His reproach. So they take the road that Demas took, forsaking having loved this present evil world. I don't know if you have realized it or not, or the temptation has ever come to you, or the trial has ever come to you, but it is a trial I believe that every child of God goes through. when he is tempted to turn back, to give it all up, and to go back. I believe this is a trial that is characteristic to all of God's people. Satan comes and lambasts him from every way he can. From every side he comes at him and tries to get him to turn back. <coughs> What is the use? I've done my best and I have tried no more. Just let me just let me get out. Let me go back where it's calm and quiet and get in those waters. But praise God, He gives grace to hold us in those hours. Then our choice should be like Moses. By faith. Moses choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ a greater, rich, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had rec respect unto the recompense of the reward. That should be ours. Lord, keep me in an hour like this when persecution comes and all seems to be going against me, hold me and let me esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And not only does he allow these things in our life to try us, to prove us, but he allows these afflictions and sufferings in our lives to purify us. For it is God's purpose to make us like Christ. It is God's purpose to make us partakers of His holiness. And that's the reason He chastises us. In Hebrews 12, we read these words. 
talking about the chastening rod of the Lord. He said, he said for verily for a few days, our fathers down here chastened us. But God does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Therefore, he says in verse 12, Lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I never will forget. This must have been at least 35 or 40 years ago. I was going through a chastening time of the Lord, or a trial of affliction, a great trial of affliction. And God led me to Hebrews 12. When I got to that 11th verse, now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. And there I stopped. And I began to analyze that. And I began to say to myself, Leroy, do you know what this is saying? This is saying that your father knows that what you're going through with is not joyous, but it's grievous. If you wait upon him afterward, this chastening, this affliction, these trials yield will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. This is my favorite verse when in <clears throat> the time of suffering or afflictions or trials to come here. I know that he knows that it's not joyous. It's grievous. He knows this, but he allows us. Allows this, that he might make us like Christ to be partakers of his holiness. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So the Word of God is precious. And that's what I love about the Word of God. All of its promises that he gives us. He gives, us to, he gives them to us that we may be upheld in the hour of trial. The hour of time that we might be looked to him. But it's during these times when, when he's going to purify us that 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7 comes into play and should be of great, of great encouragement to the people of God. 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7 reads, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, or manifold testings, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, he puts us into the fire, the furnace of affliction, to try our faith. But praise God, he's the one that's looking into that fiery furnace. He's the one that's watching to see when the dross has been removed 
from the gold or the silver, as it were. He knows just how much to put on us. He'll never put on us any more than we're able to bear. He will always make a way of escape. But all of this is to try our faith, because faith is more precious than gold that perishes. And the man that has that faith to be able, by the grace of God, to stand, having done all to stand, that's the man that God is going to use for his glory. And I praise him for it. He's going to keep. He's going to give us what is needful day by day. I can trust him and I praise him for it this morning. And then... There are various kinds of persecution that come against us. But we must understand, beloved, that our text applies only to those that persecution that comes upon us for righteousness' sake. In other words, we are being persecuted for we are like Christ. In thought and word and deed, <clears throat> up to the light that he has brought us, and we can praise him, that he is the one who has brought us there. And therefore, the various kinds of, of, of persecution come. But we must understand that it's for righteousness' sake. It is not for those who are suffering just for religion or for their belief of this sort, but it's those who are suffering for Christ because their lives are like Christ. Their talk, their walk, their dress, their actions, their reactions to all things condemn the world. It is because of this that they are persecuted. Because they are trying by God's grace to be like the one the world hates. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. If people persecute us because of wrongdoing, we can't claim this scripture. If people persecute us because we are gloomy or haughty, or selfish, or evil speaking. We have no right to seek comfort from this beatitude. This beatitude applies only to those who are suffering for righteousness' sake. And then, there are all kinds of persecution that comes. Christ-like character where our conduct is after practical godliness and the world condemns us because we're not like the world. By means of the opposition that we encounter. The Lord's people become better acquainted with their own infirmities and their own needs. I wish you'd let that soak in. And you would remember that and I would remember it. By means of opposition, the opposition that we encounter for desiring to be like Christ and to live, live like Christ, The Lord desires these things to come into our lives that we might be acquainted with our infirmities, with our needs. 
Because, beloved, it doesn't take long to find out that for us to stand a single hour, we must have the grace of God. I can do nothing in my own, my own strength. I cannot walk like Christ in my strength. I need the grace of God. And so, the, under, the understanding of the heart is that when a man understands this, his heart begins to go out to the living God. He begins to cry out after Him for that grace to wait upon the Lord. Because, beloved, all trials are not the same length. All trials are not the same depth. The one I remember the most lasted for eight long months from February, February 68 through, through October of 68. Never forget it as long as I live. I'm sorry it was 69. Stay in my mind. I never will forget it. It started in February 69. The trial came. And God put, it through me for, put me through it for a purpose. The longest one I've ever gone through with. And after 30 days, I got a hold of 1 Corinthians 10.13. There's no testing or trial or, or <clears throat> temptation that comes upon you but is subject to all men. But God is faithful in that He will not allow you to be tempted or tested or tried above what you're able to bear, but He will with the testing make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 And boy, I got I laid hold of that with everything I had, and I knew the battle was, was over then. I just knew He had given me victory and that the battle was finished. I had seven more months to go, and I didn't know it. But that's what held me in the next seven months, was that promise that he would not put on me any more than I was able to bear. And it was so bad that when I came to the end of it, I was close to a nervous breakdown. I got to where I couldn't hardly talk. But God put it through me for a purpose, and I'll tell you why. That was just six months before I left New Orleans, to move to Minnesota, and there's where God laid upon my heart this entire ministry. And God knew what I was going to go through with it, what I was going to face. He knew the opposition that I would come against. So He had to put me through the fires of the furnace. And I thought everybody was against me. Every accusation that man could come came against me during that period. I was even accused of stealing $10,000 from the church that I was pastor of. It was a blessed thing that I had just had an in-house audit made about a month before, and I could prove that I was innocent. But everything came. But I know why God put me through it. was that I might be able to go on in the work he had me to do and what he had put before us. Because I have no idea, no idea in the world what the next 30 years 
31 now would be. Never. Never had an idea of it. But you see, there, but, but there again, I had to, I learned that I could not stand one single hour unless divine grace would uphold me and keep me. What are some of the ways we are persecuted? Well, there's the persecution of the of, by blood. How many martyrs have there been? How many martyrs in the world today? We hear of it every time we, we turn around there in Sudan. The Christians are being martyred for their stand for Christ. I hear it coming from China, and God's doing a great work in China. I spent an hour or so with a man, a missionary from there about two weeks ago, saying that he has been able to go in and out of China, visiting with the house churches. And the persecution is great. And yet God is using it to bind those souls unto himself. There are many incarcerated because of the persecution because they are like Christ. They stand for the truth. But I think the most common is the persecution of the tongue. That's one we have to endure quite often. For he tells us, Blessed are or they blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye when men shall revile you you see it's right here in our text men will revile us for being like Christ living like Christ desiring to be like Christ few think of this kind of persecution but it's right here the persecution of the tongue Psalm 55, 21 tells us his words were drawn swords. You may kill a man just as well with the tongue as you can with a sword. Ecclesiastes 7, 1 tells us that a good name is a precious ointment. But when men began to revile you, and that word revile means they began to defame you. They began to libel you. They began to slander you. They began to smear your name. They began to malign you. They began to denounce you as a child of God. And sometimes it's done so subtly. This scripture came to my heart yesterday as I was studying. <clears throat> came to me as I was reading. Now I beseech you, brethren, I'm in 1 Corinthians 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine where you have learned, and avoid them. For they are such, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple ones. We can, <clears throat> we can persecute and revile individuals by Good words and fair speeches with a subtlety about it is meant only to deceive. 
those individuals that we speak to about an individual. Or as we read there in, in uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, 4.15, busybody in other people's matters, meddling in other people's affairs, or gossipers. All of this is persecution, reviling. And this, God says, that man shall be <coughs> hated. The Old Testament saints, as we are told in Hebrews 11.36, had trials of cruel markings. And then those words about the first Christians in Hebrews 10.32 and 33, called to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction, partly whilst You were made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions. Publicly exposed to insults and abuse and distress. Reviling. But I think the one that I've heard the most is the word slandering. And they shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Slandering is tongue persecution. The Apostle Paul was slandered in his doctrine. It is said in Romans 3.8, they said men, that he said men might do evil that good might come of it. That was a lie. They said of our blessed Lord Jesus, because he cast out devils, that he himself must have a devil, or he cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. But some have said they laid to my charge things that I knew not. And I have found that a slandering tongue can do more damage in an hour than a man can live down in a lifetime. Lord, deliver me from such a sin and from such a tongue. To this very day, I cry over things I have said and things I have done in the past when I've slandered a man and my tongue has been used to damage their name. I hate it. My heart cries unto God for mercy. Mercy, Lord my cry. A slanderous tongue means that a slanderer wounds another man's character, his reputation, that no physician could ever heal. These, these wounds lie 
deep. In Proverbs 10.18, he warns us of this. And this is what he says. He says that these words, Proverbs 10.18, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. And there's a warning against a man who uses slander. Psalm 101.5, Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will I not suffer. So man is so God is against against the slander in our hearts and our lives. We must confess before Him and look to Him to have mercy upon us. There's one more thought, one more point I want to bring out before I go, before I leave, before I let you go. I want you to pray for me because I this is the the crux and the meat of the whole message and I want you to know that the finger comes back here I'm speaking to myself I want you to listen in. But this last point is for me. But I hope it'll be for you also. That God will take it home to your heart. The first thing I must remember in regard to persecution, reviling, slandering, being persecuted for righteousness sake desire to be like Christ the first thing I must remember I must not retaliate it is very difficult not to do so and more difficult for some of us than others but our Lord did not retaliate when he was reviled he reviled not again and we are his followers and we are to be like him so we must not utter the angry word back. We must not reply. We must not retaliate. If we do, we're acting like the natural man. He always replies. By nature, he has the instinct of self-perseverance, the desire to get his get his last word in. It is found flesh. But the child of God is to be different. He's different in nature. So he must not retaliate. So by telling you that, I put myself on the spot. Don't I? Because all of you watch my life. Every one of you watch my life. You do. I know you do. You know all about me. At least I think you know all about me. 
But again, not only till I'm not to retaliate. The spirit of nature, the flesh. And this is a hard thing not to do. Not to feel resentment. The first thing I have to control when I'm persecuted and people are lying on me How would you like a letter sent to 25,000 people and in it are 24 bare-faced lies that letter contains against you? Or when you every Monday morning for weeks you receive a fax on your fax machine And you're being lambasted by every word that can be in the English language against you. What do you do? I'm not to resent it. But pastor, how can I not resent it? That's our nature to resent. But our Lord Jesus did not. Do you know what God gave me to help in this? I quote it all the time. You're listening. God's in our midst. I pray that you'll hear. 2 Corinthians 12.10 Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. But when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul said he took pleasure in persecutions. Well, <clears throat> if I take pleasure in it, then I, I'm not going to feel any resentment, am I? If it's coming from the Lord, and God has ordained it for me to make me more like my blessed Lord, then I am to rejoice. Along with that, I should not, by the grace of God, let it throw me into a state of depression. And that's hard not to do. But here is where the grace of God comes in. I'm not to retaliate. I'm not to resent it. I am not to go into a state of resentment. I'm to confess unto the Lord. Because all of these things if I lose my temper over a thing or if I manifest annoyance at it I'm dishonoring my Lord. We still may feel it feel it intensely be hurt by it. But bitterness should not be there at all. I'm to ask God for that grace that I may walk in a way that is pleasing 
อาจจะเห็นพอลเซนในพระสกุลเอนเตียนเซตเขาบอกว่าคนในโรมพูดถึงพระคัมภีร์ที่เกิดขึ้นเขาบอกว่าวิธีที่ผมไปรวมนั้นคือที่ผมกล่าวถึงพระคัมภีร์Whether it was preached in sincerity or whether it was preached for other means, the gospel was preached. Now I know, you see, <clears throat> by telling you these things this morning, God laid on my heart. I know you're going to watch my life more than ever before. How does He react under trial? How does He react under persecution? Does he retaliate? Does he carry a grudge in his heart against those that come against him? Or does he have a spirit like Christ to cry, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." Now, if you thought it was easy. For me to stand here this morning and deliver a message like this, and these last points to apply it to my own heart, you don't know anything about preaching. When you cut yourself with your own sword and you lay yourself bare before God, you must never be depressed by persecution. What should I do? I'm to be like Christ. I'm to cry for that mercy and that grace that I will in all ways behave like a Christian, like a child of God, and honor and glorify Him in all things. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Uh, we will keep verse 12 of Matthew 5 in our minds. We'll be, we'll, we, we will overcome. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. That's the hope that is set before us. We're going to be like our Lord in heaven. We're going to be like Him, and therefore God wants us to come to Him, and He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be exceeding glad. And rejoice that we are suffering like He rejoiced. One day it's coming. Let me give you one more scripture and I close. What does Hebrews 12 say? Why are you listening? For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. Sit down on the right hand of Majesty on high. For the joy that is set before us in our reward in glory, when we shall be like Him, when we shall see Him as He is, that joy, that exceeding great joy, should make us say, "Lord, forgive." They know not. What they do.
Keep me broke, Lord. Whatever it takes, keep me broke. And sometimes, beloved, when we pray that prayer, we really don't know what we're asking for. Whatever it takes, Lord, break me. Keep me broken at your feet, that I may be like you in all things and in all ways. I brought you the Word of God this morning as best I know how. And I've cried to Him to give us what is needful for this hour. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Keep that in mind. Our word is yet to come, then we can rejoice. Throughout eternity, will be like Him. Let us pray. My Father and my God, now and Thou alone knows my heart. Thou and Thou alone knows my motives for preaching as I have this morning. I rest it all in your hands, for I do believe with all my soul and all my heart and my, all my being that you gave me that word preached this morning. Cause each heart, starting with mine, to be searched, my Father, and to be broken at your feet. I want a broken heart, Lord. I want to be like you in all things. I want to watch with you in that living, loving, lasting union of love. I want to commune with you from above the mercy seat. I want you to be all and in all, no matter what it takes. Have thy way in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, my Father and my God, I plead in Christ's name this morning, upon the basis of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll search every heart to their depths this morning. And there will not be a one of us that will try to apply this sermon to any other heart but our own. You know that's been my cry since yesterday. It was my cry every time I was up during the night. My cry this morning. Lord, let none of us try to apply this sermon to any other heart but our own. We trust you, we look to you, and ask thy mercies upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May God bless you. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. 
SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.